This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Hi there, hockey fans, and welcome back to Rotowire's Signature Hockey Pod Podcast with Statsman and AJ. Friends, I'm Paul Bruno, and you can follow me at Statsman22. My co-host, as always, is AJ Scholes, and you can follow him at AJ Scholes24. Look, in trying to make the best of the All-Star break, I decided to watch this year's festivities. That's a rarity for me, and I have to say I enjoyed them, <laughs> uh, though they were somewhat flawed in my opinion. We'll get to that discussion in a moment. I don't think we need to see players struggle with the puck control course where they're faced with putting the puck through three different levels and the barriers that have been included or throwing saucer passes across the width of the rink. Simpler targets and obstacles with bonus points or penalties for hits and misses would be my solution to that because it was kind of painful to watch some of these guys go two minutes through that course when uh, without it, the <laughs> obstacle it might have been 45 seconds otherwise the games are a solid display of hockey skills and that's fine by me aj what were your observations if any on the all-star break well for me i think the highlight was uh having uh the the four uh women hockey players there and being uh you know originally just demonstrating uh the the uh obstacles there but obviously uh the with uh somebody dropping out they had an extra spot in the fastest skater so uh having her uh take that spot and then you know everything that uh came out about uh the other one winning the um or so, so yes maybe maybe not it sounds like there's some disagreement <laughs> there but maybe winning the uh, the passing uh, drill as well. I, I thought it was a great way to kind of highlight the women's game, um, both internationally and, uh, and you know the the National Women's Hockey League as well. Uh, and really, uh, I think it'd be great if somebody you know would take an interest and in, and in get those games you know on TV. Uh, maybe NHL Network would be willing to pick that up and and put some of those games on TV. I mean, I'm certain certain there's there's times where uh you know those could be could be on uh and i'd definitely watch if they were so i I thought it was a great way to highlight uh more than just you know the men's game here so uh yeah kudos to the nhl for for bringing those ladies in and and congrats to them on what they did but uh you know before we kick off the rest of the show i'll do you my usual reminder that if you have questions about your lineups fantasy hockey or just hockey in general uh, you can tweet at us and we'll try and answer those for you as paul mentioned you can follow me at aj 24 and you can follow paul the statsman at statsman 22 
All right, AJ, and this week, since we have no games to really look back on in the past week due to, due to the break, I thought we'd take a look over the longer haul and talk about surprises, disappointments, and uh, players to watch moving forward on each of the clubs. And as always, begin our look around the league with the Anaheim Ducks. They're sitting there with a 21-21-9 record, still missing Corey Perry, and it's interesting. He might be back fairly soon. I wonder if he's going to be back in time for the trade deadline. Wouldn't that be something to hear his name bandied about there? <laughs> I'm I'm uh, sure they're disappointed that their centers haven't been healthy. They've had a lot of injury trouble down the middle, but elsewhere on the roster as well. Kessler's still out. They need him, uh, and, and they got to get more from Adam Henrique, who's been healthy, but not delivering the goods. I'd really like to see him step up his game, and I think he has a chance to do so as the roster gets healthy around him, so that might be a player to watch there. Gibson has been fantastic in the Nets. Uh, backups as well have held their uh, end of the bargain. And I also think the top four D-men have performed very well here, AJ. What's your slant on the Ducks this season? Yeah, I do think we're, we're approaching uh, the possibility that uh, this is a team kind of auditioning guys for next season. They've made a couple different moves to shuffle uh, the roster around. And overall, I would call those retooling, not rebuilding moves. So I definitely think, uh, you know, the season's certainly not out of, uh, you know, over and done with. They're only one point out of the wild card. But if they start to tail off, I think you're going to see a little bit more of that shuffling right now. Uh, I wouldn't call them a seller or really a buyer at this point. Um, but I think one guy that could potentially be moved if they f slide down into that seller mode is Jakob Silverberg going to be an unrestricted free agent after this year. I think they could definitely get some bang for their buck back on him. All right. And next we go over to Arizona. This is a team that uh, there's an opportunity here for the forwards. There's a nice uh, D uh, top four locked up long term as well. Some cheap forwards as well. The trouble is there's lots of money tied up here on the IR. They really got to sort that mess out because they've got too many guys on the injured list and uh, carrying those salaries might mitigate against them adding too many pieces at the trade deadline. So I just think that it's in a holding pattern here until that injury list sorts out before they figure out their next course of action. But uh, there are some nice pieces here if you dig deep enough and uh, maybe some futures as well. Absolutely. You know, you talked about the money tied up on injured reserve. You're looking at over $25 million worth of salary currently uh, on the IR, including, you know, big contracts. Now, obviously, uh, they've got the Marion Hosta contract, the Dave Bolin contract. Those aren't aren't guys that are playing anymore. Um, but you still have Jason Demers, Antti Ranta, uh, Michael Grabner, all making over $3 million a piece uh, and, and eating up some pretty big caps. So you definitely hit the nail on the head there with that, Paul. Uh, I do think uh, there, there is some opportunity here as well for a couple of guys to step up and uh, maybe utilize the opportunities. I think the problem we've seen with Arizona the last several years is it always seems like there's an opportunity for guys to step up and we always find ourselves in this situation and nobody really does. So um, maybe this is the year, you know, Calvin Picard is kind of auditioning uh, for, for a future home. Uh, what he can maybe do down there will be interesting, especially until Ranta's back. Darcy Kemper, I think, is really auditioning for, for long-term uh, future here as well. So uh, a couple guys with some opportunities there. 
in Boston, unlike the other top three and top two teams in the top three div teams in the Atlantic Division, I guess they rely on an older core. When you look at the key players there, so I'm thinking there's a window of opportunity, unlike their some of their com top competition in Boston, and they're more in a win mo now now mode. We spoke of a couple of young wingers who have regressed in uh, recent weeks. In fact, not even up to par over last season. And one of them even got jettisoned to the minors over the break here. So uh, there's an opportunity for an upgrade on the wings, I would say, here. The young D of McAvoy and Krug are vital to their success here. Uh, an aging goalie duo has shown cracks this season. In fact, Tuka Rask is back on the IR with concussion symptoms. That's horrible news right now because Yarrow Halak has not been very good in the last uh, five or six of his starts. So there's some pressure on the Bruins to win now, but uh, cracks are showing uh, on some of the parts of this roster. Well, and earlier in the season, you know, they had uh, injuries to their forwards. Their D-line was all banged up. Um, but they were able to kind of weather that storm, and that's because Halak was playing well, and, and Rask was doing okay. His numbers were down a little bit, but uh, I don't think an injury to Tuka Rask is something that they can weather uh, long term. Now, maybe Halak kind of rediscovers his form playing every single night, um, but he is winless in his last three and is sporting a 3.44 goals against average over that stretch. That's certainly not going to help them win games and you know there's there's a lot of ways you can overcome deficiencies at forward uh, on the blue line you know due to injuries but overcoming problems in net is really hard to do I mean this team may have to find a way to score five six seven goals a night uh, to to bring in some wins the way Halak has been playing lately in Buffalo, uh, the big news and positive news is Jeff Skinner has really meshed well with Jack Eichel on the top line, but a note of caution here, he's a pending UFA, and this, a look at this team's salary cap situation tells me they've got several other UFAs on the roster, that even RFAs, that they're going to have to take a look at re-signing here. There's a couple that they can do without. I can, don't see Jason Pominville coming back uh, with his big salary for sure, so there's an opportunity there. Uh, in other news around this club, Carter Hutton has excelled as the first in his first luck as a top goalie, but don't forget Forget. this is another guy that's on the wrong side of 30 and uh, was late to the party in terms of getting a starting gig in the NHL so they got to keep an eye on that circumstance as well I think I've been impressed with their top pick uh, Rasmus Dahlin he's been a very nice fit on the blue line uh, overshadowed a bit by some of the uh, forwards in the rookie uh, scoring ladder but make no mistake this guy is a blue chipper for sure uh, in terms of disappointments on the wings we've touched in the last couple of weeks on Kyle Poza and Connor Sheary they spent some money on these guys and they have to be disappointed with the return and I think they also have to be a little bit disappointed with Middlestat's uh, attempts to become a solid second line center he just hasn't delivered like I thought he, he might when he showed on the world stage in juniors and the world tournaments I thought this guy was going to be a special player right out of the shoot but the learning curve is a little steeper for him than, than I guess even he expected one another guy that's really struggled this season is Vladimir Sabotka. And I, I do think this is partially uh, on the coaching staff here. They have moved him to the wing. They've moved him back to center uh, and kind of bouncing all around. Now, his numbers uh, before the, heading into the break, five assists in eight games, but he hasn't scored a goal uh, since November the 8th. So uh, that's a long stretch to be uh, without, uh, you know, without finding the back of the net. In fact, 32 games played uh, with no goals. And so there are definitely some concerns here. Uh, Casey Nelson is a guy who, you know, not a lot of people are going to snatch him up for fantasy, but I think the situation to watch there is when he's healthy and they got to take him off IR 
what they do with the rest of this uh, roster. They're certainly not going to carry nine defensemen. They've been carrying eight for a while, um, but there's no way they carry nine, uh, in my opinion. So does somebody get moved? Do they risk putting somebody on waivers? I think this uh, kind of becomes an interesting question. As far as you know, locks that aren't going anywhere, they're not trading, obviously, Darlene, McCabe, uh, I think are kind of the two locks. Now, a couple of years ago, I might've said Ristolainen was a lock as well, but I don't know that that's the case anymore. Uh, he could probably fetch a pretty nice return for them to kind of bolster their forward ranks if they're willing to part ways with him. In Calgary, there's certainly been a lot of talk about a prolific sc- top scoring line, uh, Johnny Gaudreau in the conversation for the Hart Trophy, but the second line has really come into fruition uh, in recent weeks. Michael Froelich, Michael Backlund, and James Neal getting off the schneid a little bit, providing some solid secondary scoring. And even on the third line, they've got Matthew Kachuk kind of uh, pulling that line up into scoring territory as well. He's been a, a point-of-game guy for them, but... Uh, we're seeing more out of Mark Jankowski as his center, and you can't sleep on Sam Bennett. So three lines deep, they're, they're loaded in Calgary, and it shows in terms of the high-octane offense that they've generated all year. And, you know, in recent years, we've highlighted the fact that I think this is one of the top defenses in the league when you look at that four-pack, and uh, they've added Oliver Shillington to the mix uh, on the third pairing, and Rasmus Anderson, two younger guys that make this a six-pack to be envied around the league. So uh, lots of talent at forward and defense, and then look at David Ridge comes from nowhere to challenge Mike Smith and maybe take the role away from him as the starting goalie. So things are really looking positive for Calgary. They're going to be one of the league powers here as long as they can keep this core intact going forward. I really don't have much, you know, much to add to that in terms of, you know, there's not uh, a lot of concerns here as far, you know, as weaknesses, as you said, you know, three lines deep in terms of scoring, they've got a pretty gritty fourth line that can, you know, kind of spell those other guys. Yeah. The defense kind of led by Giordano here is, is solid. I, I love the addition of Travis Hamanick. I, I thought he was a great ad for them. Uh, yes. His offensive numbers aren't quite as great as they were, uh, you know, with the Islanders, but what he can add on the other end of the ice, uh, I think is almost as valuable, if not more. So, um, you know, you look at his last three games, 15 block shots, uh, in those three contests. And so that's something that, you know, you, you need, uh, your blue line and, and your forwards too, to really do in order to win games. So there's not a lot of bad to say for this team. And it's definitely looking up, uh, for, for a potential deep postseason run. Yeah. Things are kind of the opposite for the next team up and that's the Carolina hurricanes. Uh, they've had t- trouble keeping their top line center healthy. Jordan Stahl still on the IR there. Nino Nino Ryder gets a shot at the first line left wing. I think this guy sooner or later is going to have to put up or shut up because there's there's too much talent here to be wallowing uh, anything less than a first line or second line player for him. He's got to produce sooner or later. I think the heartbeat of this club and the strength of it is the the top four on defense. Uh, they've got a decent third pairing as well. But I have to wonder if they're going to deal from that strength on defense. And I could see uh, Brett Pesci being very, very highly sought after. His name's been uh, all over the trade rumors that I've seen. And you can say the same thing for Justin Falk, though. I've uh, banged this drum all season long. This guy sorted out the defensive side of his game, but really sacrifice offense he's not looking like the offensive force that he has been in recent years so uh you might like to tweak things to get more of him offensively i'd certainly like to see that part of his game return but uh there are some holes to fill here and you can't forget about what's going on in the nets peter Morazic, the best of a bad lot in goal curtis mckelenny uh, is a 35 year old who was brought in to be the backup he, he's outperformed uh 
Mrazek and Darling uh, for large stretches of the year. Uh, and and Darling, for his part, has been an unmitigated disaster when you look at <laughs> look at the salary cap that is assigned to him over the next couple of seasons. Yeah, there's so much going on with this team that it's it's hard to really uh, find you know good good things for this club. Now, a couple of those, you know, obviously Sebastian Ajo uh, is is having another solid season. This is a guy that's going to need to get paid next year, and so that's going to uh, kind of affect I think some of their decisions here heading into the trade deadline. You mentioned a couple of defensemen. I'll throw out some forward uh, loan options. Uh, Justin Williams, uh, $4.5 million cap hit. Uh, so I think they'd have to retain some salary, but he'll be a UFA next season. So that's not really a problem for them. Uh, they can just, you know, dump, you know, that'll be gone off the books next year. Uh, he could be a solid rental somewhere. And also I think maybe Michael Furland, another, you know, he's a little bit younger. Uh, his cap hit is much more manageable in terms of a team taking it on right now. And again, going to be an unrestricted free agent after the season. So I expect there to be a lot of selling uh, on the Hurricanes part here. And maybe what they try and do is is bring in uh, a netminder for the future. Obviously, that was supposed to be Scott Darling. That hasn't panned out. And I don't think Peter Mrazek has done himself any favors here either. In Chicago, AJ, the talk has been that uh, the Taves and Kane contracts would be a big drag on this team, but those guys at least are are pulling the rope and scoring to lead this team offensively. I'm more concerned about the underperformance of guys like Brendan Saad and Artem Anisimov, who have uh, big contract hits as well, not quite as big as Taves and Kane, but sizable ones, and they're underperforming those deals, and that's a problem for this team, I think, going forward, because they're here for a while. The emergence of uh, youngsters, Stroman, and Debrinkat has been great for their uh, for their second line. That's cheap forward depth through next year at least as well. So the top two lines look like there's something there when you consider the two superstars, and they got to get better numbers from the two guys I mentioned here to round it out. The, uh, in on defense, this team needs a lot of help. They're aging stars really losing a step Duncan Keith and Brent Seabrook and there's really not a lot behind them I'd like to see Slater Cuckoo get uh, a lot more minutes and see what he can do if there's uh, the offensive game that he showed in junior and and in the minors can translate to the NHL that would be a big bonanza for these guys but beyond that they're looking for help on the blue line and in the Nets another team that has been a bit a bit of disaster uh, in, in the twine Cam Ward having a terrible season Corey Crawford with injury issues and Connor Delia was brought up to spell both these guys he's been the best of the three but he's a minor leaguer folks uh, I don't think there's an NHL pedigree there at all so I'm going to disagree. I do. I have seen uh, a little enough out of uh, Delia that I, I think there's an opportunity for him to potentially uh, become something. Just a reminder, you know, he is only 24 years of age, so there's uh, potential for him to continue to develop. I, I think we've gotten spoiled the last couple of years with a handful of young guys in, you know, Vasilevsky, Murray, uh, Hellubuck that have kind of come in and been uh, solid right out the gate. And I think that's kind of, uh, you know, it's not the normal trend from what we've seen in the past. It usually takes a goaltender closer to 25, 26, I think, to really find their stride. So I, I think there's an opportunity for him still uh, to make his way with this club. But as you highlighted, hasn't been good enough of late one, two and three in his last seven outings. And so he is really struggling. But like I said, he is pretty young, uh, you know, in terms of a, a netminder here and on defense, I think there's, 
You mentioned Slater Cuckoo. I think Henry uh, Jukaharu is another guy. He's only 19 years of age, still needs to kind of get into his stride. So I do think there are some pieces uh, that could help them into the future. I don't think it's all doom and gloom uh, into the future. This season's over and done with. You might as well just call it uh, what it is. But, you know, looking ahead, uh, I I see some opportunity here for a team that could uh, really, you know, start to find a stride if guys can continue to develop. In Colorado, that top top forward line, you notice they were all at the All-Star game. One of them was in civvies, unfortunately. McKinnon was hurt. But all i got to say about those three is wow. And that might also <laughs> go for Tyson Berry on the blue line. This is a high-end defenseman linchpin and a power play quarterback that doesn't get a lot of ink, but he's right up with, there with anybody else you can name around the league. And as long as he's united with those that forward line on the power play, he's going to get his points. Uh, also, we've talked in recent weeks about the progress that Carl Soderberg has made to be become a solid second line center and Alex Kerfoot not far behind him the depth here at center better than we projected at the beginning of the season in fact it's the wingers that have not done their part here I'm disappointed with the fact that none of Sven Endergetto, Colin Wilson, JT Comfer and Matt Calvert really have stepped up like I thought they could given the quality of pivots that they're playing and the performance they're getting from the center position. In the Nets, too, I'm a little disappointed that Philip Grubauer has not, pu- Grubauer has not pushed Semyon Varlamov, as I might have expected, so it's still a big, big load on Varlamov, who has his injury issues uh, that come with that, that package. It'll be interesting to see what Colorado does here at the, at the trade deadline. I, I do think they need to bring in uh, somebody with you know a little bit more of a proven scoring touch to to add another line to this team uh, ultimately and and like you said most likely that'll be uh, in the form of a winger. What you probably have to send the other way now they're obviously the minors uh, you know you you don't have to send a, an NHL caliber player the other way a lot of times you can package up some minor players but in terms of who they could move uh, probably from the blue line. I wouldn't be shocked to see Patrick Niemeth uh, head out uh, just a $2.5 million cap hit, an unrestricted free agent next year. So a team may be looking for a little bit of a you know defensive defenseman to kind of bolster that. And I guess I wouldn't rule off Nikita uh, Zadarov either. $2.15 million hit RFA next year. Uh, and so he could maybe garner a little more interest because uh, you're not just renting him for one season. So uh, definitely a team to watch heading into the trade deadline. And uh, in Columbus, this, this team still looks like a one-line one offense much of the season. That's a surprise because coming in, I thought they had some real quality on the, on the rest of the forward lines here. Aside from Anthony Duclair, though, the bottom six, uh, further to the struggles on the second line, uh, he's contributed next. Uh, they've contributed next to nothing apart from Duclair, I should say. And uh, in terms of the goaltending and defense, they're, they're still team strengths here. Bobrovsky, though, is a pending free agent, and so so is Artemi Panarin, and the, the word is that the Columbus is going to ride those guys through the playoffs and see if they can sign them. That's a big risk for me. Uh, they got to really get a good sense for that before the trade deadline, I would think, because to see one or both of these guys go for nothing, that would be a big-time miss, uh, and that, to me, is the overarching question over anything else that we can come up with, I think. Yeah, I, you know, that's, that's obviously... Uh, the key heading into the next few weeks here and and what happens with this team down the stretch. Uh, I'm going to be interested in watching what happens with their power play numbers. They brought in Marty St. Louis uh, to kind of help, you know, 
bolster uh, that that power play. That's kind of the role that they've uh, you know had for him, as well as kind of connecting to some of the players. Uh, and you look at those numbers; they're converting at just fourteen point six percent. That's fifth worst uh, in the league. So they definitely uh, you know need to figure out something in terms of how to to turn that around and and maybe bringing in a guy who played uh, you know over a thousand games in his career and, and really, you know, was a phenomenal score and phenomenal talent can help uh, these guys kind of figure it out. Yeah, that's a great call, AJ. Bringing in help like Kim has to translate on the ice. You would think he's got a lot between the ears and a very good communicator, too. In Dallas, a lack of forward depth has re- meant the recent splitting up of uh, one of the top duos in, in hockey, and Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan recently. I wonder if ca- can uh, Radic Fax to be a solid second-line center? Well, having Ben on his flank should help him. A superb goalie tandem and the emergence of Lindell and Heiskin on the blue line have been central to a commitment in improving defensive structure. This is one of the top defensive-minded uh, teams in the NHL. The goals against is among the top leader, uh, top in the league. Trouble is, the scoring hasn't kept up and done its part. It's one of the lowest in the league, so they may have sacrificed too much to that defensive commitment. They're going to be ha- happy to get out from under Jason Spezza's and fire, uh, expiring $7 million because the the veteran has not been performing to that, uh, the level expected of him over the last couple of years, this year being no exception. So some flexibility under the cap is coming, I think. They reacquired Jamie Alexiak from Pittsburgh for a fourth-round pick. That helps the defensive structure even more, but uh, it's mitigated by the, the news that Mark Mathot underwent season, season-ending knee surgery. The guy's only played nine games a season, so they certainly have uh, missed big on, on uh, acquiring the defensive-minded pivot there. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think it's a good move for them to bring back Alexiak, uh, especially with Mathot being out. They haven't had St- uh, Stephen Johns at all this season. Uh, he's still trying to work his way back. And so uh, it's a good pickup. It's a good addition. Alexiak plays a very similar style to, to Mark Mathot, very defensive first. Uh, he adds a little bit more of an offensive touch than Mathot, but that's really not saying much. Um, <laughs> Mathot is not a scorer at all. If you need a defensive shutdown guy, uh, he's the one to turn to. But if you need points from the blue line, definitely not. So uh, I, I think it's a good pick. It's a, it's a low cost uh, to them. And actually, it's the same pick. Uh, that they got in the first place for trading Alexia to Pittsburgh. So they basically uh, just loaned him for, you know, a year and a half and and then brought him back at no cost. So, uh, yeah, this team, you know, injuries have been the problem all year. You've had other guys banged up, but you definitely need uh, those star talents to start picking it up. and, And it really hasn't happened. In Detroit, it's been audition time this season for a pack of young forwards. Uh, certainly Dylan Larkin emerged as a team leader here, and that's the best news that you could ask for, uh, for what's happening in Detroit. Uh, Gustav Nyquist having a great rebound season, too, to look like the player that he was shaping up to be a couple of years ago after a down season last year. But it's the development of Bertuzzi, Manta, and Athanasiu that has me excited for this team, rounding out a pretty solid top six going forward. The problem here is on the blue line with aging veterans Nicholas Cronwall and Mike Green still logging the lion's share of the minutes, and they've got a big contract 
problem with Danny DeKaiser because he's got a big dollar deal and just not playing up to that. So there's plenty of room for development on the back end. They have to be pleased that Jen Dennis Chilowski has logged some some serious minutes in learning curve and Nick Jensen as well. So there are a couple of guys that are moving up, but there's a lot of dead wood in the way uh, on the blue line. And in the Nets, they're going to have a big problem at the end of this season because they're going to be looking for a starting goalie with Jim Howard out of the uh, out of the mix it looks like at the end of this season and Jonathan Bernier not a number one goalie by any means I mean they're paying him more than some number one goalies right now at three million dollars a year so that's a lot to give uh, a guy just to serve as a backup but I do agree I don't think he should be their starter I do think they need to look uh, for, for somebody else to to fill that role uh, and I don't necessarily think they're going to get it from Patrick Rybar, Harry Sateri, or Caden Fulcher, some of their guys uh, in the minors there. So they're probably going to have to look outside in unless they want to re-sign Howard. I I'd be shocked to see them do that. I think the problem that this club faces heading into the deadline is there's not really pieces uh, that are going to be too attractive that they're going to want to give up. You know, generally this time of year, you look for veteran rentals uh, that, you know, you could part ways with, well, Nicholas Cromwell's cap hit, it makes that kind of hard to do. Same with Jonathan Erickson. Uh, Gustav Nyquist is, is young enough at 29. I don't think they're ready to, you know, sh uh, you know, ship him out. And then that leaves you kind of Thomas Vanek, who really hasn't done much this year. And I don't think there's going to be a lot of interest in adding him, you know, to a playoff team. So uh, I don't expect to see a lot out of this team heading into the trade deadline. I think they'll like you said, give the, the young guys that have uh, the opportunity to log some games and, and look to developing them for the future. In Edmonton, boy, there's a lot of head-scratching going on here. Look, they have the league's top player. They have an excellent second-line center in Dreisaitl and a breakout year for Ryan Nugent Hopkins, finally. And yet they're not a playoff-bound team. Scouting and the general manager have not been good here, and certainly the general manager, Chiarelli, walked the plank last week and was fired. <laughs> then at the same time, they, they re-upped Koskinen, uh, a guy who is a 30-year-old NHL rookie in the Nets. He's been good, but has he been great enough to warrant the big dollar deal that he's getting in the next three years? It's too much money for a 30-year-old in his in this ordinary first NHL season in my book. Oddly, I like a look at their defense, depth on defense. That might be a strength before too long, though it's been hard to keep them healthy, and that's been a, a big problem for this team and a big reason why they're on the outside looking in, to use your phrase. Yeah, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head with the injuries there. If you have Oscar Clefbaum and Andre Sequeira, this is a completely different blue line, and, and it's been a, a pretty good blue line as it is, but yeah. They need to do something in terms of figuring out the the forward compliments here. They've they've done a few things. They've snagged a couple guys off waivers during the season, and it, it just nothing has really worked out. How you can have Connor McDavid and and be this bad is kind of mind boggling. Now I understand he has that big cap hit. They gave Leon Drysaitel a ton of money too. I mean those guys are eating up twenty one million dollars of you know of cap space on their own. So. Uh, that is a lot, but they've, you know, lived up to that expectation. I think your one bad deal, obviously, we've talked about it at nauseum, is Milan Lucic, uh, and I don't think anybody's going to want to take him either. So uh, I'm not sure what the answer is here, but uh, a new uh, new administration will be running things here shortly, and and maybe uh, they can start to figure some things out. 
And uh, figuring things out is what needs to happen in Florida, too. At the beginning of the season, I thought this team was going to be competitive in the Atlantic Division, but they certainly are not. Injuries have hampered them. The biggest setback has been Vincent Troche's absence, and you see just how valuable he can be to this team with the fact that he's been really lighting it up now that he's healthy. And to a lesser extent, they didn't get anything from Nick Bugstad. That's a that's a big reason why this team is underperformed. It's those two forwards which round out the top six when things are going well. They've missed both of them. Veteran goalie Tannen with plenty of term and dollars remaining has not been very good either. I have to give failing grades to the tandem of Luongo and Reimer. I like both of these guys, but really not delivering the goods in the nets this season. Uh, Aaron Ekblad is another guy. He's scoring goals, but not delivering like we expected in terms of a complete game uh, as a possible linchpin on the blue line. He's been far outclassed by Keith Yandel, a veteran on the back end. Uh, on the positive side, Dadanov has been a nice fit on the top line, and Frank Vitrano looks like a legitimate top six forward. He showed flashes of that during his time in Boston. If he can play to the level he has most recently, they have some answers to those questions in the top six. I think this team's going to be a strong opponent the rest of the way now that they've got things healthy and straightened out with their offensive mix, and I do expect more from their defense as well. This team is confusing. Uh, you know, you look at the roster, Barkov, Trocek, uh, Mike Hoffman's having a phenomenal year, Huberdeau, Yandel, Ekblad. Like, these are top talents that are putting up points. You you mentioned Vetrano as well. You know, Bukestad was injured for a while, so, you know, he's just starting to get back. Um, so with all of that talent, it's surprising. And I think we said this last year, it's surprising to see them on the outside looking in. And I feel like last year we blamed it on injuries and you could do that again this year. You know, you mentioned Trocek missed a good chunk of time, but at some point you have to just figure it out and and you can't just keep blaming it on top guys getting hurt. If you want to be successful in this league, you need to figure out ways to get through those. And, and I do think you're absolutely right. The, the tandem in the nets just hasn't been good enough this season. But again, if you wanted to, you could point to some injuries, sidelining those guys for chunks too. So maybe if they get healthy, you know, stay healthy, rather they can make a run. It, it would, it's going to be a challenge. They're 10 points out of a wild card spot, but it's certainly not out of the question uh, for them to kind of try and charge up the standings here at the end of the season. And in Los Angeles, they were certainly in the news with the deal with the Maple Leafs that I'll get into, into in a little bit when we get down to the Toronto side of things. But I wonder, overall, did this team get old quickly or what? I can make the case for some of the guys who won the Cups here. I don't feel sorry for Dowdy, Brown, and Kopitar. They've got their rings and, and they've got the big contracts. But other guys named Fanuf and Kovalchuk are nowhere near the worth of their cop hits. And uh, they look like big mistakes here, quite frankly. Some tradable parts could see a rise in their DFS value. Jake Muzzin was at the top of that list, and now he's he's gone. And we'll talk about that side of, with Toronto, as I said. Otherwise, it's audition time in Hollywood for some younger players here. AJ, maybe you can touch on some of these guys, but your sense for the Kings situation. Yeah, it's not good. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, and that's why they, you know, traded away a huge piece like like Muzzin. And so um, I expect this probably isn't the last deal we've seen out of L.A. Uh, this season. But, you know, they, they're definitely going to be looking at some of these younger guys. You know, I think Alex Iofalo is one guy who I think needs to really step up. You know, he's he's in his second year. Uh, his numbers are comparable to last year. 
And I think this is an opportunity for him to push beyond that and to show that he can be a permanent fixture on this top six here. And he's been in and out because he has struggled. Uh, you're going to see a couple other guys get looks like uh, a Matt Luff. You know, Brandon Leipzig is really auditioning to see what he can get in terms of a long-term deal here. And so uh, there'll be guys that are kind of in and out. Their roles are going to switch around. And so if you're going to use the Kings uh, in daily contests or even season long, this is one you really are going to want to watch what these line combinations look like because there's not even a solid you know, first line. They've got Kovalchuk on it right now with Kopitar, uh, but he's played third line minutes during the season. Carl Hagelin is all over the place. He hasn't really settled since moving. And so uh, if you're going to pick these guys, you got to find your spots uh, when they're getting those top six minutes. Uh, AJ, I'm a Canadian guy. Correct me if I'm wrong here, but isn't the Groundhog a reference to the Groundhog State in Minnesota here? I, I'm going to say it's Groundhog Day, and in any case, when I look at this team, <laughs> a notch below conference heavyweights and a notch above all the also-rans, but nobody wants to face these guys when it comes to a playoff. That's because they have a solid 1-2 at center with Koivu and Stahl, a very nice decor, and a steady veteran goalie in Devin Dubnik. In terms of the mix right now, Jordan Greenway is a guy that I'm keeping an eye on because he's getting top six minutes ahead of the likes of uh, Zach Parise and Mike F- Marcus Foligno in terms of regular shift. Of course, Zach Parise is still featured very prominently on the special teams. And I'm curious to see if Victor Rask could make this thing, uh, this team a quality three deep at the center position. I uh, mentioned the defense. Ryan Soder is a very underrated guy who eats up a lot of minutes and is scoring very well and consistently. Jared Spurgeon, a notch below him, but certainly certainly a quality guy on the power play got a good shot that uh, is a factor there uh the other guys on the back end more defensive minded than offensive minded they're missing matt dumba on the blue line and it'll be some time before he returns in the nets devin dubnik continues to be quietly ranked in my opinion uh, toward the latter part of the bottom the top 10 in the league i should say still a guy who gets a lot of starts here and has a high win probability when they meet up with half the teams in the league for sure yeah, I've always been a little surprised, uh, especially, you know, down down the stretch. Uh, you know, January was a very compacted schedule, and I'm a little surprised that, you know, Alex Stalock didn't get uh, more work. He had two uh, relief appearances as well as, you know, two starts uh, in January. And I, I would like to see him get a little more, you know, a little bit more of that workload. But Dubnik's numbers have been you know, so consistently solid, especially his three game winning streak heading into the break that it's hard to argue with kind of riding him uh, that much. But I'd, I'd like to see him get a little more rested as they try and make a playoff push. You know, one kind of minor pickup uh, that maybe flew under the radar for some of our listeners, they got Anthony Bieto off of waivers. I think this is a great addition by the club, uh, a, a solid, you know, a very limited cap hit wasn't seeing a lot of minutes in Nashville because that blue line is so stacked. And I think there's an opportunity for him to really kind of take the reins here and thrive. Uh, But I do think he is auditioning, as you said, how he fits in now while Dumba's out will determine what happens to him once they get Dumba back. And uh, I have to admit some surprise that the Montreal Canadiens have been as good as they are. That's because guys like Tatar and Domi are far outperforming expectations that I had of their first season here. These guys have been middling players uh, in the last couple of seasons, particularly Domi last year. I've said it before, out of the nine goals he scored last year, I think three or four of them were empty netters, so he's really turned it around, though he's struggling a little bit of late. I also have to throw a lot of credit to Jeff 
Petrie here for holding the fort on the blue line while Shea Weber was on the IR. Now that Weber's back and healthy, they've got two offensive linchpins at the back end, and that's a luxury they have over most of the other teams in the league, as well as the fact they have Carey Price in the nets. And after struggling with injuries and uh, underperformance, over, he's been solid in much of the last two months. So sustaining this level of success is going to be hard for this smallish group. I'll say that because I looked ahead to their schedule, and more than half their games are against teams with better records than them going forward. So uh, it's rosy right now, but it's going to be a challenge for this team to keep that up. Well, one guy that they're going to need production out of is uh, Arturi Lekkinen. He, his numbers just haven't been great. He's on a 13-game uh, goal drought, has just three assists over that stretch. Uh, his shots on goal are 28, so a little over two per game. You'd like to see that obviously go up. Um, and his power play minutes have suffered because of it. You look at his last uh, you know, last six games, he's only averaging about 26 seconds on the power play. Uh, and so that was down from the games before that, where he was getting upwards of two and a half minutes. So, uh, you know, he's going to need to figure it out and they're going to need more production out of him. I think if he struggles enough, you might get a look at Paul Byron or Joel Armia on that second line role. Although I know that they like that Byron, uh, Kotanemi and Armia line, uh, overall. So they may be hesitant to shake that up. All right, and then up next, we've got the Nashville Predators. This is a team that's missing two key scorers right now and uh, for much, well, not now, but much of the season, I'll say. Philip Forsberg and Victor Arvidsson have been in and out of the lineup with injuries, and a top D-man, P.K. Subban, was out for a significant stretch as well, yet they're still among the top-ranking teams in the league. These guys and this team, in fact, may benefit from the downtime that, that these uh, key parts have uh, dealt with in terms of the injury absence could be some rest time that that pays off later the big concern right now is that i i am concerned for the health of kyle Torres, who was expected to return after the all-star break but now they're pushing that back until early february that second line center role is up for grabs with no reasonable alternatives here that might be a position they shore up at the trade deadline whether or not kyle Torres is healthy yeah, absolutely. And they tried to do that when they originally brought in Nick Benino, and that just hasn't worked out for them. You know, that's why they brought they made the decision to trade for Turris at that point. Um, what they're willing to part with will be interesting to see. You know, this is a pretty deep club. Uh, they obviously, as I said, they lost Bieto, which I think would have been a, probably a decent trade chip here. Um, but they needed to free up a spot on the roster. So who they might be willing to part with in order to you know, bring in a center is going to be interesting to watch. In New Jersey, this is a team that's uh, sub-500 on the season, and that ain't good news in the modern NHL. Goaltending has been a surprise here as the veteran incumbents, a respected tandem of Corey Snyder and, and Kevin Kincaid, have both struggled mightily, while Mackenzie Blackwood has excelled since his call-up from the minors, murkying up the waters here a little bit. Offensively, they've missed Marcus Johansson in their top six, though he's been back for a couple of weeks and they continue to be without their top gun taylor hall i'll remind our our listeners he won the heart trophy last year because of a torrid second half basically that dragged his team into the playoffs uh, that's not going to be repeated this season folks <laughs> yeah and uh, unfortunately not you know i i do think he could uh kind of come back strong and have a solid second half but it obviously won't be enough uh to win the heart trophy after you know how long he's been out I really think they need to get more out of Nico Heischer. You know, he's supposed to be potentially the face of this franchise moving forward. And the sophomore slump 
has hit him a little bit this year. He had 52 points last year, just 32 so far this season, currently on a four game point in the streak. Uh, and it, it, you know, it's showing a little bit what, uh, how much he struggles without Taylor Hall lined up next to him. And I, I do think this was an opportunity for him to maybe grab the reins here and, and take control by being, you know, kind of the linchpin of that line. And that simply hasn't happened. And uh, when it comes to the New York Islanders, we've talked a lot about, lot about this club in the past two weeks in glowing terms, but that's because they're the surprise team in the Eastern Conference, for my money, this season. Now a shocking first in the Metro Division. Uh, credit has to be shared, and we have shared it with their off-ice personnel as well as the on-ice personnel. Robin Leonard has been really emerging in goal. Uh, they have a nice one-two punch at center. Matthew Barzal and Brock Nelson uh, return to better form for Nick Letty, though he has only one goal. He's been popping in uh, lots of assists and, and playing a steady game on the blue line. And the emergence of Pollock and Pellick in the second pairing has been a great boon to this team and, and solidifying the defensive structure as well. They still carry the burden of an underperforming Andrew Ladd, though, and that cap hit of $5.5 million over the next four years is a real blight here. Oh, absolutely. You're, you're definitely, you know, got got that one right. I mean, he has you know dealt with a, a ton of injuries and been out for a while and even when uh he has been in the lineup his production has been somewhat minimal uh overall and so when if they get him back at this point uh you know he's going to need to really earn that uh, that contract pretty quickly and the other concern obviously is learner um you know he's set to be a ufa next year i think they need uh, to get him under contract sooner rather than later, because there are certainly going to be teams uh, that you know have interest in signing him, you know, this off season, and that's only going to serve to raise his price tag after what's turning out to be a pretty solid season. And uh, with the Rangers, I spoke of auditions in Hollywood earlier. Well, they've gone a lot better on Broadway, as the Rangers have been much better than expected, despite a public admission of a rebuild here last spring. This is not a playoff-bound team yet, to be sure, as Lundquist's numbers are well off career norms despite his best efforts. There's just not a lot of of, uh, good fortune following this team. Though youngsters like Pionk and Shea, on defense and Keitel and Vesey and Hayes up front, they've taken some steps forward and they look ready to form the next loot nucleus here. It certainly has hurt the club, though, that Pavel Buknevich could not duplicate his breakout campaign from last season or that Kevin Shattenkirk has not clumped come close to earning his big contract though he has picked it up a little bit lately There's, he's still not worth the money they're paying him yeah it's it's definitely a struggle uh, overall with this team that that you know it's hard to know what they're they're another club that's kind of uh, hard to know what they're going to do here at the trade deadline there's some potential pieces that could go in in a kevin hayes uh, he'll be a ufa i doubt they're going to want to trade matt zuccarella even though he'll also be a ufa and could probably bring in a pretty decent uh price tag here you know i i think probably their best asset overall is probably henrik lundquist uh, but at 8.5 million for two more seasons that's just uh hard for any team to really eat and uh so you know i i don't foresee that happening I think it would be the right move potentially for them. Uh, They seem to really like Alexander Georgiev for the future. Uh, If they are full rebuilding, that's that's kind of their best uh, piece that they they could put out there. But uh, I just don't see it happening. 
Uh, and in Ottawa, a season shrouded in negativity both on and off the ice has suddenly turned a little more positive than expected, AJ. We've certainly already seen a uh, uh, level of play out of Thomas Shabbat that neither of us forecast a bit more, but more recently he's uh, struggled a little bit. And then Mark Stone has expressed an interest in staying on as a team leader, and even Matt Duchesne would welcome a new contract to stay here, where it was thought both of these guys had shut the door and were ready to move on at the end of the season. I mentioned last week that Tierney has been a positive contributor at the center position. We didn't forecast that, so that's a bit of good news as he's shown a good playmaking side. And Ryan Zingle p- picked a nice time to have a career year as a pending UFA. He's sitting there with 20 goals and 18 assists and 48 games so look for him to be hitting the pay window in a big way unless he gets dealt at the trade deadline and i wonder in the nets is anders nilsson their next number one goalie it sure looks like they're giving a a, a good long look here craig anderson's getting a little long in the tooth and the numbers aren't where we expected them to be uh the big question is one i raised though in light of a rebuild here can they move bobby ryan's contract He's played a little bit better of late, but that's a lot of money to take on. There's still a lot of holes here and uh, uh, a big rebuild project ahead of this club. I I honestly think if you don't see an extension uh, for Stone or Duchesne uh, before the deadline, one of them might get moved here. I I think they'll bring in top value, but they're both going to be UFAs, and they're not going to want to let these guys walk for nothing. Plus, you have to consider they are facing a bit of a – uh, a problem in in goal if they do want anders nilsson to be their netminder of the future they're gonna have to pay him more than the 2.5 million he's getting this year next season he's also set to be a ufa and they're already locked into craig anderson at 4.75 for next year so you're potentially looking at close to nine uh you know eight nine million dollars locked up between two netminders that's a lot to to be paying on the back end especially when you have like you said that Bobby Ryan contract hanging over you. In Philadelphia, I have to commend a stubborn coach management team for finally moving Claude Giroux off the wing and back to center where he will be more helpful to this club. They've struggled down the middle of the season. Oddly enough, they did it at a time when Nolan Patrick's picked up his game, so they have some depth at center there that uh, should be productive. They have a bevy of wingers, too, that are starting to perform. I like what I'm seeing out of JVR of late, and Wayne Simmons has picked up his game to the point where now they're talking about extending him rather than trading him at the deadline. In the next... The next uh, big hope is with Carter Hart he's been up for the minors for a while been solid over a 12 game cameo so far it looks like they're gonna ride him to the end of the season um I I think the bigger disappointment here though is the 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 play of the young D-men Gostas Bear and Provorov have both taken a bit of a backward step over the outstanding campaigns they had last year neither one of us saw this coming and it really makes me wonder what they really have on the blue line here if these guys are are really playing at the level that they're going to see going forward or is this a blip what's the real deal about the blue line here uh, I, th- I think it's overall uh, a problem. I think Gosses Bear at, you know, 20 points uh, in 48 games and, and Provorov at 17. That's just not a lot of production out of guys who are supposed to be uh, the, you know, the offensive contributors here. And, and it drops off from there. You know, Sandheim at 15, Hag at 13, Gudis at 13. Uh, and so there really just isn't any scoring here. And so I think if they do uh, decide to part ways with Wayne Simmons. I do think you're looking at potentially uh, trying to find a, a scoring blue liner here that you know maybe will help bolster this group and and if if not improve it, you know maybe help improve you know uh, 
bring those guys up and, and get them to where they need to be. I made a reference to Groundhog Day with Minnesota earlier. I'll do the same thing when I talk about Pittsburgh looking at this club and saying it's a nod to team management that they've kept this team consistently among league heavyweights in the cap era. They've locked up their top stars in Crosby, Malkin, Kessel, and Latang with affordable cap hits when compared to other clubs and their high-end players. And they've managed to add another for emerging star Jake Gunsel. And uh, further to that, infusing other forwards with an offensive upside or capable defenseman that has kept them afloat and really ultra-competitive uh, over the last several years, making my partner really happy. I wonder, AJ, do you have any contract concerns looking ahead here? I might cite the fact that Patrick Hornquist Hornquist and Jack Johnson are not playing up to their deals right now. Yeah, Jack Johnson's been kind of the name that's been talked about a lot about being an albatross with his contract at, at, at 32 years of age, locked in for another couple of years. You know, the one guy I think hasn't really lived up to what they're paying him is Ole Mata, uh, making just over $4 million, supposed to be a little more offensively minded uh, player. And it, it, it really hasn't happened this year. Just 12 points on the year. You know, he had uh, some health and, and injury concerns in 2016-17. Looked like he had bounced back from that last year, 29 points, and in, in played in all 82 games. So you thought maybe this was the year he could break that 30 mark, and it really hasn't happened. And so his price tag's uh, a bit pricey for, for not getting a whole lot of contributions out of him. But uh, other than that, I, I don't really have any uh, long-term concerns. You know, they're, they're not going to bring back Derek Broussard next year. Uh, so they'll get a little bit of space letting him walk. Maybe they re-up uh, Riley Shahan uh, at a discounted rate from the 2.1 that he's making. Uh, so there's not a ton to be worried about. Uh, honestly, my biggest concern uh, is Jack Johnson's injury. You know, they, they trade away uh, Alexiak, you know, because they don't really have the space. They're expecting to bring Justin Schultz back soon. And then you have Johnson get injured. I think there's some concerns there. But it's also an opportunity for uh, Chad Ruido to finally uh, get some games here, potentially, uh, at least until Schultz is, is ready to go. In San Jose, it took a while to get going, but Eric Carlson is playing at an all-star level <coughs> finally. Knowing uh, when to take a big swing at signing him and Evander Kane is a key part of building the winner that we see consistently in San Jose. Just as important, though, is knowing when to cut ties on a player, too. For instance... Patrick Marlowe, who is still a beloved figure here, as we saw on the weekend, has not played up to his $6 million cap hit in Toronto. So good decisions top to bottom here in San Jose. Have them in, in the running again this season. Uh, look, uh, I don't want to malign Marlowe before I move on. This guy's a great character guy and good for his new team, but his old team could not fit him in at this time. And uh, in other news, I'm disappointed, though, in Marty Jones' numbers in goal. This is a top-notch team deep at forward deep on defense and his numbers should be much better than they are for a club that th this good on the, on the flip side i want to sh shed some credit uh, timo meyer's way for an unexpected breakout campaign that's solidified even a strong wing compliment here yeah, Timo Myers, one guy that's probably going to get paid uh, this offseason. He's going to be an RFA heading into next year, and he's definitely doing what he can to, to earn a big-dollar contract. And so uh, we'll see how that all works out. You mentioned Jones's numbers of late. Uh, has given up five uh, and five goals once and six goals twice in his last three games. That, uh, to your point, that's simply not good enough, especially with the team around them. 
Uh, he did get a win out of one of those thanks to his offense there. Um, but they, they have to be better. And I do think part of that is the injury to Mark Edward Vlasic, uh, kind of a, that defensive stalwart there. He's been out uh, since the start of January, missed the last, uh, looks like, eight, uh, 15, uh, 10 games, it looks like. So uh, so not having him definitely uh, is a problem for them. And, and hopefully if they get him back, it'll kind of shore up that, that D a little bit and help Marty Jones get uh, get better down the stretch. In St. Louis, for me, this club is also disappointed. Similar to what I said about Florida earlier, except that you can cite more than one to two key injuries here that have undermined team fortunes. Now that they're healthy, though, I expect this team to finish strong unless they part with some players at the trade <coughs> deadline. Names like Pietrangelo, who's found his groove after coming off the IR in January, January and towering blue liner Colton Pareko, front and center, when you talk about tradable pieces in the news for this club. But a lineup that features so many quality veterans up front will be a handful. By the way, is there a goalie go- controversy brewing here with a strong debut of Jordan Binnington measured against a so-so year by Jake Allen? I put that question to you, AJ. There's definitely potential there for there to be a little bit of a, a problem heading into next year. You know, Bennington is an RFA who's certainly going to want to be uh, making uh, some more money from, you know, from his entry level deal. And so uh, we'll see how that shakes out. I, I think this is another team that could potentially find itself paying, uh, you know, two netminders in the range of, you know, three. Uh, I would expect Bennington maybe lands about three million uh, for them next year. Although if he continued to to start for them and and perform well, it, it could certainly get higher. And hopefully, you know, there's a, a sign of good things to come in terms of uh, you know their star talent. Uh, Tarasenko, his numbers this year are definitely down 32 points uh, at this point in the season. You expect him to always be up over 60, pushing for 70 most years, uh, but heading into the break had 10 points in 11 games so he may be finding his stride and ready to try and push this team into playoff contention on the back half in tampa one of, they were one of the consensus top clubs and we agreed in preseason polling and uh, what we've seen over the regular season has done nothing to alter that viewpoint to date for me i'm sure stamkos did this team a huge favor a couple of years by giving his services at a huge market discount and that opened the door to signing a lot of other his peers kucherov and hedman foremost among them going forward i'm not sure how they squeeze Braden point into the mix uh, in terms of the salary cap window but his breakout campaign is a big part of their current profile as the top team in the league if you want to be concerned about anything here you can look at ryan callahan's cap hit of 5.8 million through the next season or d-man mikhail sergachev they've hit the fact that his, this guy has had a subpar sophomore season but that's just being nitpicky of me i think yeah, I, I think there's not a lot to to say bad about this team. And I think Point is going to get his money uh, from one of their 30-plus-year-old defensemen who won't be re-signed. You've got a 32-year-old Strawman making 4.5, uh, 33-year-old Braden Colburn making 3.7, and then Dan Girardi at, uh, at 34 years of age making $3 million. They're not going to bring all three of these guys back uh, at their current age. Uh, maybe if they got discounts on all of them, uh, but I do think that opens the door uh, for that money to head uh, to Braden Point, who I expect will land in probably that $4 million range overall uh, next season. So, yeah, interesting things to watch next year. But at this point, we might as well just give them the president's trophy and get uh, get on with the postseason. 
And getting on with the postseason is was something Leafs are gonna, fans are looking forward to. Uh, they made a big trade toward that end yesterday, acquiring Jake Muzzin, who moves in as a new D partner for Morgan Riley on the top D pairing. I love that fit. Uh, in exchange, they gave up a first-round pick and prospects Sean Dursey, who's in the OHL, a defenseman, and Carl Gunderson, Grunder, Grunstrom, who is a winger who's playing with the AHL Marlies. I think he's a guy that could fit in with the Los Angeles Kings forwards right now. And that first-round pick, look at the Kings need the prospect capital. So they, both sides should be happy with this take. And uh, in addition, John Tavares is on pace for a career year in terms of goals and points in his debut season with his hometown club. Morgan Riley has continued his development and has to rank as one of the top defensemen in hockey. Uh, the Leafs have been looking for a, a number one outside the organization. They found one inside here, and they developed him nicely. Mitch Marner is the club's leading scorer. That's uh, a hot take that I made in the preseason preview here, and uh, it's been bang on so far. And Freddie Anderson has to rank among the league's top five goalies, so that's a lot of good news for this club. And they also got uh, baby steps forward for Kasperi Kapanen and uh, Andreas Johnson have had solid se- rise seasons and uh, risen in the forward pecking order. On the downside here, I already, already said Mar- Patrick Marlowe's slowing down has got a big contract hit, and Jake Gardner's defensive struggles overshadow the drop in his offensive totals here. That's that's the bad news. Here's another hot take, though. This team will take on at le- another big swing by the trade deadline, and I'm safe in the no- I'll be- also be safe in the knowledge that they have- will have signed Austin Matthews by that time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I think uh, bringing in uh, Muzzin uh, clearly ends Jake Gardner's tenure with the club uh, heading into next season. Going to be a UFA. They're going to need that $4 million to spend elsewhere. Uh, I think it also probably uh, brings to the end Ron Hainsey. I see you celebrating there, Paul, about uh, Jake Gardner leaving. But, yeah, I expect uh, both Hainsey and Gardner not to be re-signed. Uh, and so maybe there's an opportunity to potentially trade one of those guys, especially if they want to open up a spot for, you know, uh, some of their younger defensemen to get some minutes heading into, you know, the stretch here. So uh, we'll see. We'll see how it all shakes out. But, yeah, those guys definitely done, I think, for the the foreseeable future. And then they'll look at, you know, obviously Matthews needs to get his deal. Marner needs to get paid. Kasperi Kapanen has done enough to really earn uh, a pretty significant bump here as well. So there's some tough cap decisions, but for now, it's uh, as as we said off the top, uh, looking ahead to the postseason and trying to make a run. I'm looking ahead to Saturday night when our teams meet, AJ. <laughs> In Vancouver, Elias Pettersson has already done enough to lock up Rookie of the Year honors, and we said that a couple of weeks ago, folks. This is a rebuild that is marginally outpacing that of the Rangers, I think. There's good news in both cities. A pretty promising outlook in Vancouver when you consider Besser, Horvat, Goldobin, all 23 and under are the club's top four scorers currently. You can also add that Jake Vertan and Josh Levo should be in that mix as capable top six forwards going looking ahead. On the blue line, though, they need a little bit of help beyond pending UFA Alex Edler and underwhelming Chris Tanev, who's not playing to the level of his $4 million cap hit through the next season there's little that i like on the back end here they do have an interesting goalie tandem with the promotion of thatcher denko this guy is deemed to be the goalie of the future and he's going to be sharing the load with Jakob markstrom who's had a pretty nice year for them in the nets in vancouver 
So I, I think I agree that defense uh, is not their, their best uh, point. And I think there's some guys uh, that have an opportunity to step up in, in Troy Stetcher, Derek Pouliot, and even Ben Hutton, all of them uh, could, uh, you know, try and in kind of turn their games a little bit here towards the stretch and, and prove, uh, you know, that they can be the, the kind of back end for the future. One option I see for them heading into the trade deadline is to shed Alex Edler's uh, contract and try and get something out of him. Uh, Going to be a UFA after the season. He's currently making $5 million. They could hold on to some of that for the rest of the year to make it more uh, you know, easy on another team for a rental. Uh, I do think he's, his numbers haven't been quite as good as we had expected heading into the season, but they're still good enough that I think he could earn uh, some value out there on the market. And Las Vegas, without the benefit of surprise, surprising teams like they did last year and surviving a rash of injuries to the roster once again, the Knights will be a playoff team again this spring. Alex Took is their leading scorer, enjoying a breakout campaign with 40 points in 37 games. He's outproduced a number of proven scorers here in a deep forward complement where we've not seen the best of players like Pacioretty, Carlson, and Riley Smith, in my opinion, who are under their pace of last season. But now that they uh, look ahead, they, they could be in for a nice finish there. They also have Marc-Andre Fleury doing flurry things in goal, and that's the best news, perhaps. The overall aspect that they don't have is a top point-producing D-man, but they do have a number of B-grade options back there, and that's not bad news at all. This team is still going to be a tough out uh, the rest of the way and in the postseason. Well, it's no surprise why they were willing to make Paul Stastny uh, the highest-paid player on this team uh, with that $6.5 million a, a year contract. He's on a five-game point streak. He's uh, had the injury to start the year, so he's only played in 22 games, but he's got 18 points to show for it and is really uh, kind of taking the reins for this, this club and, and, you know, trying to push them, uh, you know, to get uh, better and, and stronger the rest of the way. I think it's a dangerous team to play every night. Uh, they can pretty much beat you in a, they can beat you in a shootout and they can beat you in a goalie battle as well. Uh, so there's, there's not a lot to be disappointed with uh, for this team. And they're, they're going to, uh, you know, make another deep run and, and could find themselves in the Western Conference final again at the end of the year. Yeah, I wouldn't bet against that for sure. In Washington, the defending champs need a reset, having gone into the All-Star and team break on a seven-game losing streak, losing key ground in their division. And that's tough news. If they don't move up in the standings here, it's going to be tough for them to repeat, I think. Their top forwards are all delivering at their normal pace, but the trouble is below that level on this roster. Certainly, Jakob Vrana has moved into the top six role on merit, but they still employ Tom Wilson in a similar role that I don't agree with. That's more of an indictment on the rest of the forward complement here, in my opinion. In the Nets, Braden Holtby has had a subpar season to date, particularly when I feel he's got a pretty solid four-pack of defensemen in the top two pairings here in front of him. Yeah, this team's recent struggles are, are really surprising, and I do think a lot of that falls uh, on Holtby, who simply just you know hasn't been good enough of late uh, and has gotten pulled on, on a couple of occasions here uh, and really needs to be better. Uh, they rested him a lot. We saw this last season when they had Grubauer. You know, hope he got benched there for for a little stretch, uh, and even you know heading into the postseason. And so, uh, it's possible that the the heavy workload just doesn't work uh, for his game, and and he needs to be closer, you know, probably to that fifty mark than than the sixties and seventies from the years prior. 
And finally, in Winnipeg, we've highlighted Patrick Laine's recent struggles as it seems he's missed the playing time he enjoyed with Wheeler and Shifley last se- that he enjoyed through much of last season and er- very early this season as well. Kyle Connor has taken that spot on the top line and run with it. Maybe I was correct with my early assessment of Brian Little as the second-line center, though he has caught fire in the last two weeks. On the season, though, he's been uh, a little bit of an underperformer, so we'll see what the rest of the season holds. Maybe he can light a fire under Line and they finish strong. Their defensive structure has also taken a big hit with the injury to Dustin Bufflin, though he'll be back in a couple of weeks. You can certainly see that has been an impact to Connor Hallibuck's number. They also miss Ben Chirot back there as a regular D-man. He'll be back this week as well. I like Truba here on the back end and note that he's on pace for a career season, career best season of 40-point range, and I wonder if he's capable of more. I think so. When they get Bufflin back, this is going to be a scary team if they can finally get everybody healthy and point in the same direction. Well, and until they get Bufflin back, uh, one player that you may want to target as a as a pretty cheap defensive option, uh, you know, for your daily contest is Sammy Niku. Uh, his numbers, you know, aren't aren't outstanding so far this year. Just two uh, assists in his eleven games played, but in the minors this year, twelve points in nineteen games. Last season, fifty four points in seventy six games, and so he's uh, going to take a little bit, I think, to adjust to the NHL pace of the game. Uh, but once he gets it, I think this is going to be a top. Uh, scoring blue liner for the club and he'll really uh, contribute I I expect once Bufflin's healthy he'll head back to the minors but until that happens you may want to consider picking him up uh, for your daily contest what would this show be without a minor league reference by you (laughs) it took you 31 teams to get there but you got it in there buddy nicely done it's time for our FanDuel segment where we remind our listeners that over two and a half million players have won a cash prize playing on FanDuel including AJ and me to take advantage of our special offer for new users, sign up today at FanDuel.com RW. AJ, we're looking at a three-game slate here, Winnipeg and Boston, Buffalo and Columbus, and Philadelphia at the Rangers. Philadelphia and Winnipeg playing last night uh, maybe mitigates me picking a lot of their players. I don't like to pick players on the second back-to-backs if I can afford it. What's your sense of this three-game pack and, uh, and uh, the optimizer as well? Well, yeah, for me, the game of the night is definitely Winnipeg-Boston. That'll be the most intriguing one. Uh, Obviously, Buffalo has, you know, some talents uh, that are kind of up and down, so that offers uh, an intriguing option as well. I actually prefer to play in limited slates. I I, I like the fact that there's kind of less options, if you will, and it really you have to kind of boil down and and really get your picks right uh, in terms of, of who to go with. So, uh, ran just the standard optimizer today, uh, and it's pretty high on Philadelphia uh, heading into their contest tonight. It starts with Claude Giroux at 7,300. Uh, not a whole lot bad, you can say, at that pick. Comes back with Casey Middlestat at 3,700. Uh, kind of an interesting uh, option there. He's been down, uh, as Paul highlighted earlier in the show, hasn't really produced to that level, but. At 3,700 for a second-line center who's also playing on their second power play unit, uh, that's a pretty good value. Optimizer goes with uh, David Pasternak for 8,100. Look, the only reason not to use him tonight 
I think, is the cost. Uh, otherwise, he's you know pretty much set to produce for you on most nights. And then a pair of Flyers wingers in, in James Van Riemsdyk, who's gotten bumped up to that first line with Giroux moving over to the middle at 6,000. Wayne Simmons, who we talked about uh, coming on strong, 4,900. And he plays on that top power play unit. So that's something to consider. Don't be scared of his third line assignment there. And then lastly, Josh Anderson for Columbus, 4,300. Again, uh, this has a lot to do with the fact that he's second line, second power play unit. I, I think he can definitely contribute for you. Defensively, the optimizer goes back to Boston uh, with Tory Krug at 6,200. And then is going to use Seth Jones, who's expected to play today. That hasn't been confirmed yet, but uh, so something to watch if you are going to use him. But at just 5,700, he's a good option there. And if he's healthy, he'll be on the power play as well. Uh, the interesting part about this is with a limited slate, sometimes you have to use guys against your netminder. And the optimizer is doing that with those two Boston players. Uh, and then going with Connor Hellybuck in the Nets at 8,500, he's going to be the most expensive uh, option for you tonight. Uh, so a big price tag there, but I think he's worth it, even though uh, on the road against Boston in the second of a back-to-back. Uh, overall, I, I like his numbers and like what he can do, and and I think uh, can be a good a good pickup for you. Before I make my picks, I want to pick up a, a couple of points up on what you said, AJ. I love the fact that you referred to the fact that a couple of players are playing on the power play. That's where the value added comes in in terms of the rosters that you set up. Don't be shy about including players who are on the first unit of power play wherever you can. And then also the note about playing a goalie against other players that you pick. I like to shy away from that, even in a short slate. So I, I ran the optimizer as well. I didn't like what it spit out when I pitted a lot of Boston players against the goalie Hallibuck, so I reran it, and uh, I like the way yours sets up for the most part, but again, I'm going to shy away from that goalie matchup against my players, and to that end, my lineup looks as follows. I'm going to put Mark Scheifele in at center against the Bruins. I don't think he's going to mind facing Patrice Bergeron uh, on a regular shift, and uh, on the power play, he's dynamite, of course. Mika Zibanejad, a uh, similar profile with the Rangers. He'll get top minutes on the power play, and he'll get uh, the toughest opponents that Flyers can offer off, uh, defensive coverage, but I think he's on a bit of a good streak here, so I'll take him. Josh Anderson is an underrated guy on the wing on the, in the top six mix with Columbus on the home ice. He'll avoid top checkers with the last shift going in favor of the Jackets. Philip Cheidel at home against the Rangers. I think he'll avoid their uh, roughhouse tactics on the third line guys, but uh, should fare well on the man advantage here as well. A cheap value at $4,200 for a guy who's been playing very well for the Rangers of late. Kyle Connor, I mentioned, he's played well on the Winnipeg Jets top line. I'll double down on that unit, picking him for $6,100. Cam Atkinson is another guy I revert back to in the Columbus situation. Uh, Not rated with the top guys, generally speaking, but up there in terms of the price tag tonight at $7,400. On the blue line, I'm a big fan of Jacob Truba playing well right now and logging big minutes in Bufflin's absence. For $4,800, he's a guy that get in there too. And Kevin Shattenkirk, though maligned in this corner quite, quite a bit, is a guy who's getting a longer look now that they've got a couple of defensemen down on the back end there who get more ice time and uh, more special teams play for the Rangers this evening. And in goal, I'm going to go with Connor Hallibuck, the consensus top choice by the optimizer, you and me. 
Yep, that is the case. I, I am also, I'll just uh, start there. I'm also going to use Hellybuck tonight, 8,500. Uh, and I'm going to go full Winnipeg stack tonight. Uh, I agree with your, your call on using Shifley, and so I will do that at 6,900. I'll use Blake Wheeler at 8,100 and round it out with Kyle Connor at 6,100. I expect a big game by Winnipeg tonight. We talked about the goaltending in Boston having been a problem, uh, so I'm not going to be scared off by the back-to-back aspect uh gonna go with Pierre-Luc Dubois as my other center playing top line minutes coming in at just 5,800 I think he's a steal at that price tag uh and I'll pair him up with his winger uh Artemi Panarin at 7,900 who again we've talked about how good of a year he's having so obviously I just spent uh pretty much all of my money there and in in all those guys uh you know really Dubois the only value option there so Looking for other uh, potential option, I'm going to go Anthony Duclair, who's set to play uh, on the power play uh, for them tonight. And so, you know, that kind of bolsters his value at that 3400 price tag. Defensively, I did not have a whole lot to save here and uh, to spend here. And so I went Zach Bogosian for Buffalo, uh, a top pairing guy for them. 3500 the minimum price tag for a defenseman really i just picked the best option out of those minimally priced uh blue liners there and then i am going to go zidane ochara at 3800 uh i think with all of the uh you know pucks i expect winnipeg to put on net could be an opportunity for char to pick up some blocks uh and he does play on the power play and could uh you know contribute there so again i don't like using uh as we said a guy going against a net miner but i really didn't have any choice with how much money i spent on my forwards tonight all right it's time to take a look at the stud of the week and i'm the guy that came up with this name which might surprise our listeners because i beat aj to the punch here but Sidney crosby gets the nod for me he gets the all-star game layout and his place in the overall game these days. He's still the measuring stick and the gold standard of what it means to be a star in this league and the responsibilities that go with that. And he performed greatly uh, to a high level and won the most valuable player in the all-star festivities. Well-deserved on him. This guy's got a strong sense of history for the present and for the future of this game. A lot of other players with a similar profile did I mention Alex Ovechkin yet? No, I didn't. Look, they look bad by comparison when it comes to questions about character and attitude about the game sometimes. Uh, Crosby, for his part, earns every penny that he gets paid from salary and endorsements, and he's a credit to the game and uh, long overdue a stud of the week. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, the one thing I would add to that is it was, you know, injuries uh, in the past plus Olympics have have kept him from playing in a lot of all-star games. He really hasn't, uh, you know, competed in in too many of those. And uh, this was one of the final feathers in his cap that he was still missing uh, was all-star MVP. And so he adds that to it. Um, if there is an award uh, around the league that that this guy hasn't won, uh, it, there's not many of them. I, I, I don't think he's won a, uh, a, a Vesna or a Norris <laughs> or a Norris. But other than that, uh, pretty much every accolade that, that you seem to be able to win in, in hockey these days, uh, he's he's claimed. And, and I love what you said about being. Uh, a great ambassador for the game and i really do think that's true uh and you know it's it's great having him on your team i know he gets booed at a, at a lot of places and you know a lot of people don't like him uh for for you know some of the whining that you see on the ice but uh it's really hard to knock this guy overall 
And for this, the rant of the week, look, they talked a little bit about upcoming innovations. I saw that tracking technologies were being tested by the NHL at the All-Star Game. Please tell me we're not going to see the glowing puck or streaks of light following its movement. I hope that watching a hockey game doesn't turn into an Xbox or a Nintendo experience going forward. I, I remind our listeners that you know, this this tracking of the puck that we saw several years ago was a complete flop. Can you imagine golf if they did that technology? It might be more useful because what's worse than f- finding a, the white ball going up against a cloudy sky? I lose it my in my sight lines. Maybe we should go with a colored golf ball uh, uh, more often. I think <laughs> I'm going to add that to the mix. But uh, to my point, I don't want to see the technologies of this game turn it into a, an Xbox or Nintendo experience. I'll leave that comment out there for you. Yeah, so I'm I'm kind of fifty fifty on on what I saw. The I don't like I didn't like the glowing puck back then, um, you know, and I didn't really like the 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 black trail that they had on it. You know, I I get you're trying to open the game up to people that maybe have a harder time uh, tracking the the puck, but you're talking, uh, you know it's pretty clear who has the puck a lot of the times, uh, whether or not you can actually see the puck or not. And the camera squad, you know, camera teams, uh, at NHL games are phenomenal and they do a great job of trying to keep up with that. And so, uh, I really didn't like that part. The, the other aspects, you know, the, the kind of, uh, player, uh, highlight thing, uh, I felt was a little bit more useful. You know, there's, there's, again, there's a lot of people that, uh, maybe are new to the game or, or don't know uh, other teams quite as well. And so it's harder to know just based on numbers who might be out there. Again, the announcing teams do a great job, I think, of, of that and, and keeping you informed. But that one I don't mind. I do really like the stats aspect of everything they're doing with this. The, um, you know, how many miles are, uh, you know, has a guy skated in a game? How fast did he skate at one point in a game? I think that's all really interesting stuff. Uh, to to kind of track and watch so I think there's a happy medium here uh, I, you know I, I agree though with the the kind of the black streak that we saw uh, in the the all-star game I, I just don't need it and I find it to be more distracting uh, than helpful and uh, that's a fine place to leave it we're back to a full slate of games over the next week and I look forward to getting back to you guys uh, with uh, bits of news around the league that wraps up this episode of podcast with statsman and aj please remember to send your comments and questions on twitter follow me paul bruno at statsman 22 and you can follow aj at aj shoals 24 as always we invite you to listen into podcast to get our tips to stay ahead of the competition in your fantasy hockey planning and research so long everybody 